you know, you go, you shoot this show and you've written it, right? And that's really hard to do. That's a massive process. Then you go and you shoot it. That's even, that's crazier. And you're rewriting it again. Then you're left with the footage in post. And that's when you really write the show. Welcome back to Word of the Witnesses, our 12 Monkeys Rewatch podcast. We have a very special episode for you guys today, something super different. This is Beep, and soon you will hear Cece and I speaking with showrunner Terry Metalis, composer of seasons three and four, Stephen Barton, and editor Drew Nichols. This is a special conversation looking back at the original soundtrack of 12 Monkeys and giving some amazing insight into the creative process that goes into editing an episode together. You will hear excerpts of the soundtrack throughout the pod. Guys, this is just a good one. So please do enjoy Terry, Stephen, and Drew. Stephen, we spend a lot of time, um, as our listeners know on this podcast, in awe of the music for this show. So we are really thrilled that you are here with us today. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and how you came to work on 12 Monkeys? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a big question. Uh, well, so I, 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 I've been a composer for you know, a couple of decades now, uh, like coming off of 20 years. Uh, and uh, I started originally in, in film pretty much exclusively. I, I started out working with a, uh, actually with another composer as a, assisting Harry Gregson Williams um, and sort of came up under him. So working on the, on the Shreks, uh, Narnia, Narnia films and uh, a bunch of stuff for Tony Scott, Ridley Scott um, and sort of, sort of, you know, kind of learned, learned, learned the trade that way. And, uh, and then branched out on my own and actually went originally sort of went fairly heavily into video games, um, which is something I'm still do. I do a lot of video game work Um and uh, and that's originally uh, you know sort of how you know how how Terry and I sort of came came to talk because you know he'd probably tell that story better but um, in terms of you know how he heard what I was doing but I was sort of you know working working with games from you know the Call of Duty series uh, and then subsequently this series called Titanfall um, which you know are these big sort of epic you know kind of epic epic scores and sort of futuristic set and. Uh, uh, and uh, I got a message out of the blue one day from from Terry um, saying he'd, he'd he'd heard some of my work on 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 Titanfall two and was uh, interested in in chatting about the series and it was something that uh, the series I was aware of um, you know it was a series that I'd, I'd watched a, f- a fair bit of already but um, I, I wasn't so much so much up with season two I'd seen seen a fair bit of season one um, and it was something because I, I you know I like the movie and I you know like anything that sort of comes from that that um, you know I've always been a bit of a time travel junkie so in terms of you know shows I like shows that, that sort of don't like spoon feed you all the information so so that's kind of that's kind of how I came to to meet with Terry and you know Terry probably has an interesting other angle on that <laughs> Well, yeah, for me, it was, so we started, um, uh, uh, the seasons one and two were with, uh, Trevor Rabin and Paul Linford, who Trevor, uh, I'd been a fan of, I mean, I mean, beyond just the fact that he's a rock star with yes, um, his film scores. I mean, I think he went like triple platinum on just the Armageddon score alone, like on that album or whatever. Um, and uh, he always had a, a really great um, 
talent for finding a very simple theme out of just a few notes. And so I sat down with him and that's uh, basically, you know, the, the main theme is really, I think it's like five notes. It's very, very simple, but then can be, can be used in a, in a million different ways. And, and we, I, I, I drove him um, and his co-composer Paul pretty crazy for about two years, but uh, by the end of season two, he was prepping to go back on tour with yes for like a year and a half. And there was no way that he, he could possibly do the score. Uh, I mean, he was traveling. I mean, I don't know how many arena shows they did, but they did all of them. And so uh, and we had really found a really great sound for the show. So I was terrified because music for me is everything. You can ask Drew, uh, who's on here. You can ask Steven. You can ask all the sound guys. They used to call me Rain Man when I'd go into the sound mix because I would know, be like, oh, you're reusing Q4092 from this, blah, blah. And so I was pretty terrified I, I, that um, we could only go downhill from from here without without Trevor and Paul. And uh, we went down the road with another composer who was, who was a talented fellow, but just, it wasn't quite working. It, we weren't, I, was, I wasn't quite getting the cinema that I needed. And at the same time, I was up in Toronto shooting the beginning of, uh, of season three. And Todd Stashford's like, look, because we spent so much time up there. We had all this downtime too as well. Uh, I bought a PS4. He's like, you got to play Titanfall 2. You just got to play this. I'm like, I didn't play Titanfall 1. He's like, just, just do it. You're going to have a blast. And they pop this thing in and the score is by Steven. And it sounds like a gigantic juggernaut summer holiday film and i'm playing through it and there's actually even some time travel elements to it about in the midpoint of the game um and i'm just like god i just wish my fucking show could sound this good and so i think i reached out to you on twitter right steven it was just yeah like, i think so i, I started tweeting i started tweeting about the score like i was like this is the best score of the year my god and then um uh, we met for lunch that one day, but that was before, like, I never thought, I, I was like, this guy's going to be way too busy. He's got 20, 23 movies, 15 TV shows. Like, I had no idea what it, what his schedule was. At least I thought in my mind, that's what he should be having. And then he sat down, he kind of knew the show. And then like a, about two weeks after that, Drew and I um, were kind of reviewing the, the cues. Um and we were like, we're, it wasn't wasn't working with the road we were going down. We're just not a hundred percent. We're just like, there's something missing. And we and Drew had even used temp score, right, from the original, from Titanfall One, right, Drew? Yeah, that 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 was what I was gonna say. Is that while you were playing Titanfall in Toronto shooting, and I was cutting the episodes, which was the beginning of season three. I, I had just stumbled upon Titanfall and Titanfall 2, the soundtracks. I usually listen to music while I'm cutting. And I was like, this stuff is amazing. I mean, like, awesome stuff. So I was just, it was temp, like, everywhere. And so, yeah, Terry's like... In, independently, like, we didn't know bit. each other. Like, you didn't totally, know I was talking to Steven. Yes. Yeah. No, totally and, separate. He was like, he, we just talked, and he was like, you know, Titanfall. I'm like, dude, this music is amazing. He's like, I know. He's like, I got in touch with Steven. I was like, what? What do you mean? It was it, it was like such a serendipitous kind of thing that happened at the same time. So 
I, I, I called Drew. I was like, I just want to hire Steven. I don't know if I could get him. What do you think? And Drew's like, yes, times a million. <laughs> so I remember, I remember where was I? Hold on a second. I was like, I was in some weird shooting location. <sighs> it was like a church or I, I don't, it was late. It was like midpoint of the season of season three. And I called Steven. I was like, look, uh, are you interested in doing this first? He's like, fuck yes. I'm like, awesome. You're going to have to blaze through season three. Like you, you have a lot of music to catch up on because we're, we're now like really behind and he's like, great, let's do it. Um, and so then, then you have to go through uh, the nonsense of like, kind of, you have to convince your, the people who pay for the show, like I'm changing composers. Here's who I want. And so he wrote these two uh, demo pieces the first sort of epic demo piece we actually used for the opening credits for uh, the very finale, the, the 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 very last episode, the, the the series finale. That when when it's not a two hour, it's um, it's just it has its own uh, special credits actually designed by Drew, where it comes out and becomes the monkey symbols. That's the first piece of Twelve Monkeys that Stephen ever wrote, and it was awesome. The second piece was uh, incorporated some elements of like when we we're sitting down this Egyptian neigh sound which I really loved which sort of became sort of the f- the fanfare almost for the mythology of the show uh, and and then had this very sweeping romantic feel um, and which sort of became Ethan and Eliza and a bit of the witness and the 12 monkeys uh, music look and it was, it was just fantastic stuff and we used it all the way through um and then the the rest is history and what was kind of extraordinary about this was um by season four we had the unique experience of you know you go you shoot this show and you've written it right and that's really hard to do that's a massive process then you go and you shoot it that's even that's crazier and you're rewriting it again then you're left with the footage in post. And that's when you really write the show. That's when you realize, oh, the script doesn't really work or address this or address that. Um, or you're not getting the emotion you thought you got on set or I wasn't there for the set and somebody they went in a completely different emotional direction with the scene that I didn't want it to do. So that's where Drew comes in. So Drew now has to shape and deal with what we all he now has to construct this thing in editorial and be and, and he has many masters the first master is a director's cut right um where the director uh, sort of legally gets their own cut to say this is what my vision of the show um and uh very rarely uh I, I, in certain circumstances where the the director is more of the visionary guide of the show is it like a perfect cut to begin with? We've had a few on this show, but only a few. A lot of them are like, oh, no, what did we do? We broke the show, um, which is poor Drew's like has had to deal with many, many sad nights of <laughs> Terry. It's time to sit down and watch this. And I'm like, but I don't want to. I don't want to because I know what's going to happen. And uh, And I think maybe the hardest one probably was the one that we just talked about most recently which was uh 409 which the uh hannah um uh, one minute more uh episode was one of the hardest hardest cuts also not to mention the other uh 
one was um, Ethan's episode with Eliza it was a really hard cut, like was working phenomenal. But the problem was it was yeah. working too well. Like you just didn't want to leave Ethan and Eliza, but you still had to cut away to our other characters. And that's a problem when <laughs> the, the two guest characters are the most interesting <laughs> thing happening in your series. <laughs> so you have to do all sorts of crazy, subtle gymnastics. Anyway, so Drew and Steven, uh, there was another uh, editor who's, well, I should mention Chris Gay, who was incredibly instrumental in also the sound and the look and the feel of the show, uh, who's not on here today and ended up uh, leaving um, uh, about midway, I think, through season four. Um, but uh, this is where the show came together, was in post. Um, you know, uh, you're, I'm back. I'm back in an office. Uh, the actors are done. No one's talking to you. You know, now it's up to you to get this show up and running. And so we had this gr amazing collaboration, which I'm just so eager to get back someday and soon, uh, where it was, uh, you know, an editing editing suite with Drew in this sort of basement vault at Universal Studios on the lot, and, and then two offices down with Steven. So we could temp in music but then we could just walk right in to steven's office and be like this needs to be better uh what could you do with it um and uh and you know and and sit there and steven could try things out he's like what if it's this and you're like nah what if it's this you're like hmm. and then what if it's this and you're like got it it was just like this incredible like bouncing uh back and forth and ideas that so, was that that part of it was a big first for me because I mean, it's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, but you know, the traditional, the traditional sort of Hollywood approach of, of music for years has been this kind of, Oh, you know, the, the composer sort of builds a home or, you know, office studio somewhere in, you know, Los Angeles usually. Uh, and, uh, and then everyone treks over on some, at some point for, for a playback meeting and the poor director sort of sat on the spot. And it's the first time they're ever hearing the music and then sort of you, you, you press stop and they're sort of expected to, you know, sort of say everything they feel about a piece of music immediately and give you the notes and then you do that. And, you know, and that's, that's not really how I've ever thought music should work. It's like one of those things that, you, I mean, sometimes you have to live with a bit of music for a while. Uh, you have to put it in the cut and, 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 and sort of have it there for a few weeks and be like, Oh, actually, that's that's not the right direction. It's like the idea that you can sort of sort of instantly, you know, come up with all of your opinions on what you think it should be, uh, just doesn't really tally with reality. And so I've always wanted to, you know, and still do. As I, I've set my system up such that it can be completely mobile and it can it can sort of at the drop of a hat go go out the door and go go somewhere. And I sort of and this was actually the first time where you know on a TV show where we you know managed managed to do it where we basically you know I, I was just sort of part of editorial, which was just great because you know if there was something where i needed a little bit more time just to get you know to get an idea uh, i could go to drew and say hey do you have any more do you have any more footage on the end of that shot can you give me like 10 more frames because then i can make that line, line up and i could show him what i was trying to do and and vice versa you know or, or terry could see something and be like oh you know well if you take that bit of music well i i'm gonna go i i, I hate it for here but I, I i know exactly where to put it i'm gonna put it somewhere else and and then come see how it works and so uh, you know that that back and forward is is something that just doesn't usually exist. Um, yeah, so. yeah. I mean, like for instance, the last I think the the third act of ET, Spielberg just sort of gave up and said, 
just let John Williams write the score and then they cut it to the score. So, and I think that worked out well for them. So I think, you know what I mean? And so it, it's okay to let the music drive. Like sometimes it's like this, it, this music wants to crescendo here. So let's change the shot to, so that it's, it's doing that, you know? Um, so, so we, so anyway, this is all a very long way to say how we all met Steven. Um, but it was a, uh, and I'll let uh, the other guys speak now, but it was an extraordinary time. And we had in season four, we had this bizarre thing where we had like eight months to post the show. So we really got in there. Um, you know, I think the, one of the more, I think I've told the story before, but the don't you forget about me bit um, with the, that, that arrangement that Stephen put together that Kelsey Parker's the vocal on um, was all like, because we didn't really have a, satisfying way to do an ending to that episode uh, you know it was kind of was over and everybody was real sad and they talked and then it ended and it needed to like build and grow and so i don't remember how we did it but drew and i just looked at each other like we'll just do this cover here and we had these you know and then we went right next door to, to steven he's like let me whip up an arrangement that's like sad not quite the song but also the song um, and we had Kelsey's vocals and then with, I think it was like within three hours we had a take on it. Right. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so that's that. I want to do it again. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's interesting hearing about that sort of unique collaborative process, because I think at least for as audience members, I can think of films where the music you know, you 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 can't separate sort of your memory uh, of a scene without also thinking of the music, if that makes sense. But not not as much really ever with television. I think you're you're, you're right on the money there with that. I mean, there's there is. I mean, the biggest enemy of TV music over the years has always been time, um, and it's so often that you know, especially with shows where where you know essentially they you know they, they a lot of these shows they could even give the composer like the best part like maybe a week to to, to score the show and, you know and these people you know maybe they have, they have 10 people you know writing the score behind them i mean it's like a, a, a an army of additional additional people helping which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but it's just one of those things where um you don't you don't get that time to live with it um and we and we were we were afforded that that chance now and i think i think people are starting to realize it i mean you're starting to see it with shows recently where where I, I, it's an interesting thing where there's so much content out there in the world right now uh and there's so much there's so many new shows and there's so many places where you can watch them that are wholly new um that uh i think i think uh generally as producers and people making TV now are realizing that actually music is this, this sort of underused way of making something fantastic um, in, in this medium. And it's, uh, uh, and it's just, it's just a factor of having the time to spend on it and be able to sort of, you know, live with things and try things out and experiment. And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, I think it's, I think we're going to sort of head into a sort of golden age of television in the next sort of 10 years or so. It's not just time. It's also money, right? So, a, a very, in the case of 12 Monkeys, a very small fee went to the score. Um, whereas something like an HBO show or a, a real powerhouse streaming, you know, it's like, go ahead, go have live orchestra, go do whatever you want. Yeah. In our case, in our case, um, uh, you know, 
it was it was a smaller budget show um and when the show when we would do live strings when we would bring in session players you know that's steven pulling from his own pocket you know and and making a sacrifice to be like i just want this to be great and you know so it that it needs to be said like so much went into this score beyond um what we had resources for because um our aspirations were so high and and the more we would succeed in a great piece the more we would have um the balls to try even even more like for the finale i mean that's a feature film score score i mean you listen to that backwards and forwards that is on par with any that's avengers endgame that's anything you know uh to that caliber it's as good um and i i say that proudly uh of what we were able to do there Absolutely. There's an interesting there's an interesting thing that's also come from it, which is I, I've I've been finding that I've been able to point people to Twelve Monkeys as a show and say like, you know, I mean it's and it's an argument that's starting to work as well with you know with, with all this content out there, people are trying to you know set 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 their show apart and make make their show better. And I, I keep going back to them and saying like, you know, producers and saying, well, look, uh, you know, uh, music's almost one of the cheapest ways you can make your show feel like a million bucks. Um, relative to you know kind of you know uh visual effects or relative to you know other other things that they could do that that, that by by comparison are extremely expansive and so um it's uh, for me it's actually been a very hel- you know helpful show where i've been able to point people to it and say hey look at that show what do you think it cost and they always overestimate they always say like three times what it actually cost and then and then go to them and say okay well we can do that too um and so it's 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 been sort of incredibly helpful in that way for you know people say oh if you give people the time and the resources we can we can make we can make awesome things um or we can try um so so if it's it can sound like a movie (laughs) it's easier than making it look like a movie yeah yes (laughs) right um it's so interesting, though, as you all talk. Uh, one of the things we were wondering when you, when you're, with respect to time and not usually having as much time to write and record the music, one of uh, sort of obvious differences between television versus a movie is is how much more time you have to tell a story, but also to tell a story through the music. If that makes sense, you know, you I, you have more time for different characters to have particular themes or different relationships to have different themes, as opposed to a two-hour movie. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. So and I, I, I would, I would, I would say, getting into that, you, you have this, uh, you know, there's a piece of music that that actually. At the beginning of season four, I was kind of sort of, it was before Terry was still shooting uh, and we, we hadn't really, Drew hadn't started cutting yet. And uh, I I was sort of, you know, just sketching some ideas. And there's one sketch that I did before season four and sent up to Terry. And uh, and it was one that I didn't quite know where it was going. It had this sort of like recurring, that sort of like 11, it was this very sort of weird time signature, 11, eight sort of recurring sort of cyclic kind of thing. And, uh, and, and that, uh, over the over the whole arc of season four became something that sort of it, it comes in in many many guises and we used sort of got a lot of mileage out of it but but in a way that was sort of you know we had the time to explore it and and, and it was sort of entirely terry was sort of you know like at the end of uh episode 402 when um you know when they're, they're standing up on the balcony watching watching the first splinter uh you know again and it's uh 
uh, and Terra's like, I think we should use that piece. I think, I think, I think that that's 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 it. And I, I kept on trying to sort of take it other directions. I was, and he's like, no, no, just put it in and just use it. Well, here would be where you play the the first splinter because those first opening notes um, are exactly what he's talking about, which leads to this emotional. In fact, what became the family theme? Um, that sort of uh, that big emotional crescendo at the end. Um, was part of this, that piece that Stephen's talking about that he sent was uh, it's like I think it's unfinished and here's just a direction and I'm going and I'm like I think that's that melody s- says it all that's like the emotion of the season um, is the coming together of of this crew that really hasn't been together for four years so uh, so yeah another nice thing with with terry is uh, you know it's like a, a lot of the times where i mean he has such a sort of encyclopedic knowledge of the of the music like yeah i mean he is the our music editors used to joke he's the walking cue sheet um he's uh, but uh it, it, i think this we had to have this ability to sort of have a shorthand and be able to you know and i could i could uh, there's very few there's very few people that I would ever sort of play rough versions to because it's one of those things where I'm you know I'm I, if something's very rough I'm always sort of perpetually making apologies for it and I'm sort of like well this this is this isn't going to sound this could sound bad or like this this you know is going to sound better instrumentation or stuff like that. and he's he's one of the very few people that I'm I'm able to play a rough version to and he gets where I'm going with it um, and can sort of listen past any sort of you know, bad programming on my part, or or or, or kind of uh, uh, or sort of unthought out of ideas, but then also hear stuff that I didn't hear. And so with that, it was totally an example of like, you know, I, that he was hearing something in that piece that I that I had to come, I had to learn. And then once 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 we put it in, and once I sort of, you know, kind of stopped trying to change it and stopped trying to sort of, you know, kind of like make up for what I thought were deficiencies um, in it, and then suddenly was like, oh, hang on, it's it's actually working really well. Um, and that's 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 the you know certainly the blessing that you get from time. It just gives you this ability to to sort of you know to, because you can't you can't come to a, an instant judgment on any of these things even when you you write it i mean it's like you know and there's tons of stuff that i'll write and come back to the following morning and just be like oh my god that's just terrible um so you know that's it's that that collaboration is 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 amazing and i think is you know what 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 sort of is the make makes really good stuff at the end of the day and we're going to get to some of these um, cues that you all are talking about just for our listeners and and get to hear the music and have you guys break it down. I did want to bring Drew in. Um, Drew Nichols, we, as our listeners know, we yell about the editing on this show all the time. Um, Hopefully it's good yelling. Good yelling. Always good yelling. Um, just how elegantly and often in two minutes you you all can tell so much story but also as we rewatch it all of the such clever clues and how you would cut from one character to another that when you rewatch it you're just sitting there going oh um and so just tell us a little a, a little bit about yourself but also you know i think this is perhaps as laymen part of the process that perhaps we understand the least in terms of what you you do in in cutting um footage together i came on the show season two beginning of season two uh as an assistant editor for chris the other editor who uh i ended up working with through the rest the rest of the run of the show um i had worked with chris on mad men before as his assistant editor and and he called me up and he's like hey i have this show 12 monkeys i met with terry and travis and, and they're 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 really cool and they had this cool idea for this show. And he's like, I've seen season one. 
And, you know, it's kind of the movie, but they want to go way beyond that. And so I, I hadn't seen it up to this point. You know, you hear a lot of like, well, it's just, it's the movie. It's doing the movie. And you're like, well, okay, you know, I've seen the movie. The movie's great. You know, what else are you bringing to it? So I was like, yeah, well, let's, let's give it a go. Let me, let me, let me check it out. Uh, so we started working on season two and immediately it was like, wow, okay, this is not the movie. This is, we're going way in other directions in cool, interesting ways. Um, so it was really fun to work on. And then, um, one of the other editors had a bunch of personal stuff going on in his own life and he had to step away. So Terry kind of came to me and was like, Hey, do you want to like take over the, you know, 201, the, the season two premiere? And, you know, it was one of those sink or sink or swim moments. Um, a lot of late nights, uh, with me sweating over if I was doing what I was doing was any good. Um, and so I ended up showing, you know, what I was doing with 201 to Terry. And he was like, this is amazing. This is great. You're, you're doing it. Like, let's do this thing. So I was kind of thrown into the fire with the show right off the bat. And it couldn't have been a better situation because Terry is such a collaborator and someone who's like willing to take, take chances, big chances, big swings at stuff. It's not, you know, it's like, let's try it at all times, which is amazing. Cause usually it's like, you kind of, you know, you, you, you funnel it into a way and then you're like, okay, now this is, this is what we're doing. But it was kind of never finished with Terry, which was, which was great because it was always like, I don't know, this is working, but can it work better? And so that's, I think how we came up with a lot of these like intercut things that, that then we use throughout the rest of the series where we take scenes that were working, you know, a scene with Colin Cassie and there's a scene with, you know, Deacon over here. I and mean, what happens if we just intermix these two scenes together? We play off of them and suddenly a new thread is kind of revealed or we can we can point the audience in a direction. So we started doing that with season two and then we just kind of ran with it through season three and four. And I'm glad we we came up with some of these techniques because it really helped us in the later seasons when you're trying to bring the audience along or lead the audience down, uh, you know, down a certain path, or if you're trying to do some sleight of hand with the audience, which is what we were doing, you know, towards the end of season four with, you know, who's Cole's real mom. Is it, is it Emma? You know, hopefully the audience is buying in that this mislead that we're, that we're selling. And, and again, like you were saying, there's a lot of purposeful cutting from Cole to Emma and Emma to Cole anytime we could to just to, you know, hopefully subconsciously kind of thread this in here. So that way, when we turned it, it, you were hopefully not, ex not, you know, expecting it. And just to add to one of the other responsibilities of a great editor is they score it first with a temp score. Now they can use music from the series that, that that's already been composed. Um, but usually, and hopefully that'll only go so far. So they need to draw from films uh, or other television scores or like what Drew or, would do or video, or video, video games. games. Drew, Drew would like um, would, would pull stuff that I was like, that's an amazing sound. I've never heard that before. I've never heard this kind of this, this thing. And he'd be like, yeah, it's metal gear solid four or, you know what I mean? And you're like, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, so so, so the the sound of the score, the feel of the score, is so was generated so much by Drew and Chris as well because they would be able to make 
scenes work. I, I remember um, one of the more um, audacious choices was something that Chris put in, which was uh, uh, the end of 212 when um, Cole and uh, Cassie finally kiss and they're starting their sexy times while you're cross-cutting with Titan um, and all, everybody's getting killed. Uh, it was it was something like, it was an idea early in the writer's room. I was like, how great would it be to give the audience everything they want, cross-cut with everything they don't want? Um, and I was so excited by that. And then I, I was excited by the footage, but I had no idea how it was going to cut together. And Chris found this vocal piece from... Do you remember what it was from? It was from the uh, Doctor Who spinoff, wasn't it? It was from I the... Think it was, yeah, it was some BBC series, yeah. Torchwood. It was Torchwood. That's what it was. And, and it was just... It was crazy and so cool. Uh, and then Trevor had to go try and write his own version of it. And we used it again, and, and, and Stephen uh, did it as well. So it it's... the this part of the music process is just by these. So you, these selections, which means you need an editor with really good tape, which is why, um, you know, I'll work with Drew and Steven on anything I do for the rest of my, I'll have them score my birthday party and cut my, <laughs> like Drew cut my director's real. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it, good taste is really hard to find because I've had some amazing editors and then you go in and they're scoring it with, you know, fucking Indiana Jones or something. I'm like, you know what? I really don't think you can cut to the Indiana Jones fanfare while <laughs> Cole is jumping off a truck. I don't think that works. Can you just get me something? Um, or it's remarkably underscored, to right. which is which is a choice some shows do. I think maybe we might have been slightly overscored in seasons one and two, but it was the style of the show when you only have 43 minutes to get everybody in, you know, it's like, we're going to, you're going to, it's going to be a little bit of a, a rock musical. Yeah. Yeah. It, ask- that, it was de- definitely one of the challenges with that, with the show is being 43 minutes because sometimes, you know, in a perfect world, you'd want it to be an hour. You'd want it to be one of these premium hour long. So then things can breathe. And so, you know, characters can have their full moments. So a lot of, you know, there was definitely challenges of trying to, compress all of this stuff down to get get the story get the character we want all the stuff but we just you need to get into so yeah so some of the some of the downtime musically was was kind of removed but i mean i you know chris and i whilst temping these things we're always very conscious of trying to give you these peaks and valleys with music well you know sometimes maybe it's just a pad maybe it's just a, a tone under something so that way, when things actually happen and the music kicks in, you feel it. If the music is just playing the whole time, then it just kind of becomes noise in a way and it loses its impact. So, you know, we were we were trying to keep the spirit of not overscoring this thing while keeping music going kind of basically the entire time. I think there's also, I think with, uh, with Drew in particular as an editor, I think is that the fact that he's a drummer as well has helped me on, I, I can't, I've lost count of how many times because his, 
you know, usually is when you get temp tracks. I mean, composer, it's a, one of the composer's favorite things to do is moan about temp tracks. They usually go, oh, you know, this temp track is like really, you know, it's tying my hands in some way. But that's that's usually a misnomer. I think actually usually what what the, the issue is, is sometimes it's the sort of the way it's constructed becomes, you know, that, you know, because it, you have one piece cutting to the middle of another piece in like a, a, the third and a quarter beat of that bar. Or you know, it'll be this, there'll be some way that it's, it's sort of built just because an editor it doesn't have a musical background and it's just sort of slapping tracks together but uh, drew would spend like sort of in well, way longer than i've ever seen anyone else spend like just going through making the the the, the music the temp track music work musically um to this so so this point where i would go through and often i would find that the pacing of the, the it would almost be like a tempo map for what the uh the, the, the sort of meter of the music would need to be because it would just it would just work innately and I think because he has such an understanding of rhythm in that sense um, that I mean that made my life a, a great deal easier um, and uh, you know and then and then and then a lot of the time when you sort of have a tone established by one of these things it, it's there's always the way I look at temp tracks is always there's always a nugget of gold in there even if and sometimes you can have a temp piece of music that everyone knows doesn't work but it'll still have some piece of information in there that that gives you like why does this why does this make this scene work why does this make me feel a certain way and and usually the question is answering that and and that you know otherwise you know i think i think if you you if you ever had to watch these things completely raw without any music at all um it's 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 sort of remarkably hard to kind of get an idea of whether they're even working at all and you know i have an endless admiration for editors who sit, sit through hours of dailies or you know sifting through footage to try and find find what you know i mean how you even pick between some of these things it, it blows me away really but yeah. this is incredible i i had no idea this is something that was done did you know this tina uh not at all <laughs> you mean the temp tracks? Yeah, I thought yeah. you guys just edited it all together, got it the way you want, and then kind of put it in front of somebody and was like, you know, make me feel something. Like, it's incredible the process of going and like, it's almost like laying it out in storyboard fashion, you know, of like what the editor is thinking. And then, like you said, Stephen, pulling out certain parts of that, like, th this is blowing my mind. I had no idea any of this was I, 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 My favorite analogy of it, and I, I wish I could take credit for it, but um, it's actually Ridley Scott originally uh, said it, I think, uh, and he probably got it from someone else as well. Uh, but I remember him saying in a meeting that once it's like film scoring and, and music and even editing, it's sort of, it's sort of like, trying to put a jigsaw together um but uh but where you're allowed to like repaint the, the pieces um and so you know and right. trying to sort of come up with a picture it's, yeah. it's it's you you're, it's a blank jigsaw puzzle so we're both trying to put it together from a from a from a from all these bits but we can also repaint the bits and make them look different um and then so so and th and then the idea of what is right we're not necessarily even targeting you know we're targeting an idea of what the episode should be but but we don't even necessarily we're not even our, our hands aren't tied to that. I mean, you, an episode can be vastly better than its script ever intended it to be, or it completely different, or 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 it can be exactly what was on the page. I mean, it's and, and both ways are sort of equal. There's no rules as to which is valid. It's like this this constant building of blueprints and you know adding on to it is like this entire process where it's you know the edit starts and it's long and you know, all the beats are in there and, you know, and, you know, okay, well, let's cut this stuff down. We don't need this bit, this bit, you know, or, you know, this, this, it feels better if we just lose this bit. Okay. That now it's getting tighter now. Okay. Now we're seeing the thread of it. All right. Music, you know, here's some temp score. And it's just, again, a framework. It's like a blueprint for it. Like, 
you know, oh, we want to maybe put this theme in here because it's going to pay off later. And it's, so it just kind of, it's there. And then, you know, and then we refine that even further. And then, so it's like this, this constant refinement, I guess like sculpting is probably like a good analogy where it just starts with this block and you're like, I don't even know, you know, most of the time when I start editing an, an episode, it's like this wave of like, oh man, this is, I don't even know where to begin because it's just, it's, we have all the foot, it's, it's everything. And so by doing this process of slowly narrowing it down, it's, it becomes what it is, but it's, it's a total process that takes rounds and rounds and rounds of work from from everybody really and you know so yeah it, it's it's far more complicated than 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 it might seem but that's what makes it interesting and makes it fun is because all these you're finding new things all the time basically within the same episode yeah i was going to say before we okay. listen to some to some music it what once you start um when you really start going down the temp score rabbit hole and you know your scores really well, you can then go to a movie and sit there and listen and realize what score they used as temp score. Even though they're not using it, you'd be like, uh-huh, okay, they had they had Batman Begins here, right? Okay, so then they went to uh, a lot of Zimmer. Um, yeah. I think uh, there's a there's a piece from like Drop Zone that, that be, uh, from Hans Zimmer that they used in the trailer for um, Pirates of the Caribbean, which then they made Hans uh, <laughs> turn that into kind of the drop zone bit into the kind of theme for Pirates of the Caribbean. Then Pirates of the Caribbean is used everywhere. So you have these attacking strings and everybody starts doing the same. But like, there are times I've been in, watched movies and known a certain score so well that um, the other composer has stuck to the map of that other piece so so much that I can predict what's going to happen in the movie <laughs> by okay. There's a, someone's going to jump real quick because they're building to the jump from the thing because it's from the previous score. Anyway, it's wild, <laughs> and it's so what? crazy to think about the fact that like what are the iterations of something? You know, like you said, it, Pirates of the Caribbean got it from somewhere, but then somebody else has used that, and what if someone used the next one that kind of used that and they didn't realize where they were deriving it from until it's like where did this piece of music come from it's fascinating i think that's it's one of those things uh, people sometimes i've heard a few people sort of been almost not not sort of bemoan it but say like oh you know is it is it is it a good thing is it a bad thing and i, I think it's it's just endemic of you know it's like we we the, these aren't that you know it's like one painter doesn't you know that they, they didn't you can't copyright uh you know red or you can't copyright that color it's what you do with the the with the effect of it and and the marriage of it with with film and with television and with with games is uh you know where the power of it and you know yeah you have to you have to sort of figure out a, a new way of saying that sort of the same sort of kind of things but it's 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 finding out what you're trying to say is, is often the, often the biggest the biggest challenge to it and so you know uh, i think when temp when temps are used well and when they're cut well they're, they're the greatest thing ever because I mean they really they really sort of give you a, a a a very a good snapshot of like what's what's the potential that you can you can achieve with this thing, um, and I've tr I have worked on a couple of projects. Um, I worked on a film of, of a few years ago where the director was uh, adamant that he didn't want to temp, and uh, and it was like pulling teeth. It was like I used to liken it to uh, it's like throwing um 
throwing darts while blindfolded. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, it, you 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 might hit something, but you're like, it'll won't be from any sort of you know kind of reason. Um, uh, and so and and it was great. You know, I would try I would try 15, 16, 17, 18 different things and go, no, that's not what I'm after. No, that's not what I'm after. And eventually, it was sort of. I think I, I think I, t- I did actually go in and just tempt it, uh, and played them a couple of things and said like, "Here's this," and they were like, "Oh, that's interesting. What's that?" I'm like, "It's temp track. <laughs> it's a temp track." I'm like, "I'm trying to find out what you like without having to write, you know, 25 just random pieces of music." And so, uh, and it's it's such a it's such an ephemeral thing in music, and it's also one of those things where it, it's. I mean, even amongst musicians, it's hard to hard to communicate verbally what you want um i mean there's this sort of idea that you know that you could write down on a piece of paper i mean the, the classic ones that people always come up with uh, people say oh i want this music to sound epic or i want it to sound fun and or i want it to sound uh, uh romantic and you're sort of like what well, if, if you get drilled down on it none of those terms actually mean anything um they're just terms we would apply to pieces of music that we already know so uh and it's and oh this makes me feel that or this makes me feel that so so you know tempers it's an indispensable way of, of getting to the heart of what what it is and then and then the challenges of sort of finding a new way of a new way of saying that that isn't just you know copying it and but it's going in a really sort of you know getting to the heart of why it works um and if you have a you know collaborative director and editor who who can sort of you know listen past it and go okay well what i actually like about that piece is is i like the the movement it gives me or i like the, the that emotional sweep or i like this that big sort of low bass sound i just really like the way that works so that i can go in at the heart and, and then use that vocabulary to say something new yeah and when i'm temping stuff too you know to to steven's point it's i you know I, i'm pulling bits and pieces from all kinds of different things. I like this little moment of this of this score. I'm going to pull that aside. I like this one little build of this other thing that's cool. I like this this you know this this part this one part of this one score has this cool little emotional through line. Let me just pull that. And so then I kind of build this toolbox of all these different moments and they're from everything. I mean, some some random thing sometimes you're like, "Wait, that's this beautiful thing is in this movie?" Like it, it is. It's very short but it's in there. And then, so then, you know, with all the pieces I try to just construct through to, again, like Stephen said, give a roadmap, give a tone map. So it's not just make this emotional. Like what, what does that mean? You know, make this, make this exciting. What, what does, what do you mean? Do you want it to be fast? Do you want it to be loud? Do you want it? So, you know, with this toolbox of kind of all these different things is I can start to make that. And then Terry's super good about seeing past that and and getting to the point of yes this is what i like or that's cool let's go further this way or no nah, i don't like this bit at all let's 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 do the opposite of this um and so i'm able to kind of put these little pieces in without and most of the time i think like terry was saying you don't want to hear indiana jones playing during a, a scene because it has so much baggage you know what movie that's from. It's hard to watch the show you're making because all you're thinking about is Indiana Jones. So if there's a way to recombine the pieces where you're not you're not bringing the the, the musical baggage with you of some of these scores, I think it also helps to just see whether it's working or not, or or you know, if, is this roadmap working? Is it enhancing the scene? It's so uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump to to actually digging in and listening to some tracks now. But one of the things, as you all are talking, and it, it's something that I guess should have been obvious, but it this process is so um, psychological 
in a way, like you're what's going to make them feel this in this moment, cutting to this person's face while you hear this, you know, one piano note, right? It, it's, um, I, it's really interesting listening to you all talk about it because it's, I mean, not to say that the writing and the acting isn't, of course, you know, trying to elicit a response from the audience, but um, yeah, this is fascinating. I think, I think it's, it, there's, there's a really interesting point there, which is actually that the, the, the it is one of these things when it's done well and editing is absolutely the same as this is like uh ed- editing if 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 it's done well you you sort of don't know it's there it just feels organic with it and music's absolutely the same and it's you know it's one of those things where where you know if, if you're if you if you're jumping out at someone with the music and someone you know people are commenting on the music it's it's it, it's it's 99 times out of 100 because it's doing the wrong thing and then and actually relatively rarely the because it's it's something that's jumping out for doing i mean the majority of the time you i mean the, at the end of the day we want you to have one experience you want to watch the show and there's every part of the show should come together sort of seamlessly because at the moment you're sort of or, or the moment you're sort of you know, really seeing some one aspect of it uh, in too much, you're probably being drawn out of the story in some way. And at the end of the day, you know, that's what we all come back to is, is like, sort of, are we, are we serving the story? Um, and, you know, are, are we telling the best version of the story that we can tell with the, the material that we have? And what, what, what can we do differently to make that, to, to heighten it? Um, and so, so it's you know and there's a there's this this thing when you you know when when it's all working you you we lose ourselves in it. I mean like I'll sit on the dub stage you know and, and be watching it and uh, you know that a real or, or a section of it was really good because you you've sort of sat watching it just like as a fan for ten minutes and like one sitting you know going microscopically through through everything and that's that's when you know you've done your job um, so it's it's an interesting process from that that standpoint we, we're trying to get ourselves to the point where we watch it and just enjoy it. Everything you guys are saying just makes me want to watch rough cuts now, like just to totally understand the process, you know, of like, what did you start from and how did you get here? Like, it's, it's just incredible. My mind is yeah. blown. The first track we're going to play is from the season three soundtrack, The Beginning, which opened the season three premiere, Mother. Going back and rewatching, you know, as we were preparing for this, it's really interesting how music cues, even of themselves, can be clues on this show. Um, and so the first, the first time we see Cole in three hundred one, we hear that kind of eerie um, theme that is then repeated a lot in season four. That's always associated with the mythology. Um, and on the season four soundtrack, it's called Serpents and Demons. So I was wondering if you could just tell us sort of the story behind that. And is this what you were referring to before where you, you composed some things just as kind of like an overture and then you picked out different themes? 
That was actually the first of the two pieces I wrote sort of as a kind of a demo. That was the very, very first thing I did. Um, and it's that doesn't happen very often. Uh, you know, you, 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 you one wish it that one wish wished it did, but um and it was I, I was you know Terry and I had talked a bit about on the on the phone and over lunch about about mythology and about some of these ideas and so um I, I you know I knew it needed to be something that was a very sort of it needed to be quite sparse and it needed to be a sound that was sort of uh, instantly recognizable but relatively simple you know and I mean one of the beauties of the the show is that you know Trevor's theme. Uh, originally was you know it's it's such a short little entity that you can sort of sort of you know transmogrify it into lots of other things and so um, you know I was kind of looking for for a, a similar thing where it was just a few notes uh, and this echoey sort of Egyptian it's an Egyptian neigh it's a it's a, a very sort of simple old uh, you know flute I mean it's basically a, a very very thin uh, stainless steel pipe basically um and uh it's uh it, it, but it just it has this sort of haunting quality and you know i sort of bathed it in a ton of sort of effects and almost like guitar pedal like effects and reverb to give it this sort of echoey sort of you know almost like music that appears on the wind kind of thing was what i was going for this this thing that it could sort of almost just it could blow in and blow out and you would you know it would just sort of make have its moment but you wouldn't even have noticed that it had started or stopped and so that was but it blew in but it blew in from like a thousand years ago, like that there was there. It had an element of ancient to it, to history, yeah. to you. You know, it would be very easy to start the because uh, I believe this piece is like Cole looking over the apocalypse in twenty one sixty three, right? Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah. It would be very easy to go the other way with synth, and you know, um, and it also there was a loneliness to it as well um that felt right for the show the show is it, it's a lonely show even, even though all these people these characters have found each other and it's a love story it's lonely because it's all doomed you know so um that was the feeling that i instantly got from what uh Stephen was pulling off there and it's interesting because I, if I remember right, this this cue I think was because of the, you know I didn't do do all of uh, three hundred one, and it was one that was relative. I think we did it fairly. I mean, although it was something that the the, the nuggets of what had built into it were fairly early on, it was the first demo I did that I'd done. Uh, I think we would from from when I did that to then then the the, the, the when we the final dubbed this when there's the final mix was something it was very very short amount of time it was like a matter of a few days and uh, yeah. and I remember I think Terry called me and said like well there's this opening three minutes and we've got music for it and I don't like it so could you redo the opening three minutes of the episode uh, I sure send it to me and it's this sort of you know and and basically that, that I think that was probably that was one of the the hardest sort of two or three days of just trying to trying to do this incredibly fast and then like literally slammed it. We slammed it into the mix at like they they were literally waiting to print master it. I think pretty much and uh, it was yeah. it was it was hot off the presses that one. I mean that was about as down to the wire as the the the, the, the they, I think well I think it was more down to the wire than they'd usually ever ever let us cut it. But uh, but uh, you know I mean it was it was sort of born of necessity, but uh, it worked, worked out quite well. Yeah, and and there, and there was no pressure on that one. It was. Only only the first three minutes that were the recap for the previous two seasons and also <laughs> set up where 
this show was going in season three. Yeah, it was, you know, it was yeah, no pressure. On, it's super easy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, one of the things that's so interesting that you can't appreciate about that moment until you go back and rewatch it is Terry, what you were saying in that moment, as Cole is looking out on, you know, apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic New York, it feels very lonely, but when you go back and rewatch it, now that you uh, mentally associate that theme with this thousand, you know, hundreds of years old conspiracy, and you're thinking of, you know, the Ouroboros and the and the primaries in medieval times, it it pulls it all together. You know, there's there's our gen, and we're hearing the theme of that mythology, and it, it the music. If this makes sense, the music because that theme is used in different ways throughout it adds meaning to that scene that you didn't quite appreciate the first time you watched it does that make sense absolutely no yeah and and it's one of those things that if you could do it all over again you would have heard that earlier in the series you know in, in a lot of ways seasons one and two are kind of like 12 monkeys part one and then seasons three and four are 12 monkeys part like the like they're they're both perfect pieces you know what I mean? Like it all works as, as a thing, but, but one and two are like one giant movie and three and four are one giant movie. I mean, if you think about three begins with Cole meeting future Cole and uh, that's one of the last things that happens. So they were kind of designed that way. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, that piece, uh, you know, uh, look, if we were ever doing a sequel, You'd probably the the that would be the fan the opening fanfare in the way that Star Trek has that bum 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 bum. You know, you would start with that Egyptian nay, no matter what you were yeah. doing on the next Twelve Monkeys, whatever. I think there's also there's there's an aspect to it where where as we were going through the seasons, I mean, it, it, it was a rare opportunity in that sense where that. The, at the beginning of season three, that the, there was really the, the plan was kind of known, and you know that's what you you know as a composer you sort of hope for in in your showrunner showrunner and director is that that is that and it's and this doesn't always happen, uh, which is uh, that is that there's a, that there is a master plan and that you kind of know and it was one of those things where a lot a lot of where those those moments of of, of things tying together. Uh, really come entirely from Terry musically. Um, and, you know, because he was able to say, oh, well, this is something, you, you know, like like the family thing. He's like, well, you, you're going to want to latch onto that and you're going to want to keep that in your in your tool bag and, and come back to it um, and be thinking about other ways that you can use that and be thinking about other, other guises it can take. Um, and so, you know, and when we have like the family theme in in the Western episode in season four is a really good example. It's like, you know, it, it was that's it, it, it was it, it, that that sort of overarching you know, structure. Uh, it, that's that's all, all in a sense. That's all Terry, really, because it's you know he's a, he's able to sort of see 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 where we're going, whereas we're sort of very much focusing on you know on the on the footage we have in front of us at the one moment. So so you know that's you rely on that that collaboration to be able to to do that. So so thematically, sometimes where these things sort of work out very you know <laughs> very either serendipitously or where they they, 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 they they was usually designed, but it was designed that wasn't actually sometimes even on the musical side from my side. It was uh, it was just because. Terry, you know, knew where knew what what emotions and what feelings we were going to need to evoke down the line, and what things we were going to need to call out, and that's you know that, that was great. The end of Brothers is one of as an audience member, I probably went back and rewatched the end of that episode 
five or 10 times. And in part, it was because the music took us on such an emotional roller coaster along with the characters. So specifically, after you have sort of the the scene in the woods and Ramsey dies, and you have Cole splintering back. And the first piece that we're going to play is when he is Uh, just having had to kill his brother and storming down the hallway towards Olivia and you as an audience member are like, oh God, I think things are about to get out of control. star because i you know doing the temp uh um was like you wanted to feel after all this tragedy with cole that he had that he's had enough he's had enough of the mind games he's going he's going to just kill olivia right now and we're going to be done with it so you want the music to feel driving to that point like like this is going to happen we're not we're not like is it there's not any much tension it's like oh no here comes the main thing and then it turns out that Olivia has a little ace up her sleeve to save herself, you know, which then diffuses this the situation. So that particular piece, you know, intent anyway, was to make it feel inevitable and that Cole's had enough with all of this and that he's just going to do it. He's going to be done with Olivia and then, we're you know, we're, they're going to move on. Well, and then and then as he's about to pop her and she says, you're going to need me to find your son he, as he considers that. Then the alarm goes off and Cassie comes back. she comes down the steps and it feels really good and they hug and everybody's crying and then they do the step back and they look at each other and you know everything that's going on in that conversation right. without speaking it's one it's maybe one of my favorite moments in the series that we uh, were just you know when you can work with with steven and drew who are geniuses they just make you look good
was, and I, and I was also one of these things I'm proud of because I remember like, uh, I remember someone on the network was like, you're not going to be able to convey that with just a look. I'm like, you fucking watch me. Um, <laughs> and um, so, and a lot of that is, is the music. Right. And, and, and drew when he, when he had tempted, had found like this haunting kind of vocal thing, this like male vocal thing. And we turned it over to Steven. He's like, I got it. And I think I can beat it. And he did. And it was just all the, but it, it was, it was such a, like, I even remember like my, my friend, Joe, Joe directed that episode. He was a great guy, but it, I had always had a feeling of the, of the momentum of that. So what you just played with that, with that driving, the driving strings, like really moving. Like I remember when I got the set just to check in, um, Cole was just walking towards Olivia's, um, uh, Olivia's cell like they had blocked it that way and I was like whoa 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 no 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 he has to storm and then I said he has to push push Jennifer aside and they're like well what do we do about you know how he's got to unlock the thing I go fuck it he pulls out his gun and shoots the lock like it was all on the fly and I go and and Joe loved it because he could just keep the camera charging he pulls the gun pops the lock goes in and you really believe you're building to the crescendo of he's going to kill Olivia so in a way um that's why Chris Monfett always thought about this said this about about, about the students it's very musical like that I always thought about things in uh, like they feel like a musical piece I and mean, it's building it's building it's building it's it's drive and then you get the release when she shows up uh, you know, and you're feeling good, and then it reminds you of the epic struggle. The, the, my favorite part is that 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 bit at the end with the mm-hmm. strings and the horns that Stephen has at the end, and, and that wide shot from from for that Joe has is like this is the beginning of a giant epic journey that they're going to have to deal with with the fact that the series villain is their son. And I mean, and there, there you get a little sort of microcosm of why 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 that that part of my job is quite easy in a way because because there 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 is a description, sort of without using a, a really almost a single musical word of what you want in out of that scene, um, and that's as a that's a, as a composer that's what I'm looking for, you know, sort of uh, you know it's 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 the, we're trying to figure out the 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 the, the, the feelings of it and. Uh, and a lot of it is sort of, you know, there's there's two sides to it as because you you know we we have our audience side of it where we're watching and it's you know the, the sometimes the music has to play to our reactions to what's going on, and then there's times where the music has to play very much to what's going on and sort of and be sort of come almost come from the other side and come from you know sort of so and so you know a really good example of that is is like that driving sequence is like that's where it flips to the other side and like you know the driving music there is a thousand percent having to go with Cole and he's you know it, it's inevitable. It's got to feel like he's just he's just going to go in and blow her brains out. There's no there's no doubt about it. Uh, and then and then you have to make this turn to to to, to later on when, when she comes back. And, and it's there we're very much sort of you know kind of you, you know we're sort of playing both sides. Uh, and and then there's you know gradually you're shifting to to the very end where obviously you know our son is the witness. Um, oh oh crap. Uh, and there's that sort of you know what we're really going there for is more of that sort of pit of your stomach sort of dread of like oh god, um, we know where this is going. And so so you know I I have this great roadmap of sort of the pacing and the 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 the, the tempos of it and sort of so so really you know as a composer you just approach it by saying okay well. You know how do I how do I work work musical ideas into into that structure and sort of you know kind of sculpt them in and you try them out and then 
some things work and I'll play it to Terry and, you know, he'll say, oh, that's, you know, that, does, that feels like it could be more driving there or that feels like, you know, that needs to be bigger that moment or, or, or I'm not getting this or, or that's, or, you know, or, or he likes it or says that's working or, um, and, you know, we just, we just try stuff out and that sort of, and, and with, with the goal of the, what we know we need to achieve is literally verbatim what you just heard described. It's like, that's, that's in a nutshell is that cue musically and so, you know, sometimes when people sort of describe music and, I, you know, it drives me nuts. Sometimes music editors fall into this trap. They say, well, what you need to do is a big sort of brass thing here and a big this thing here. And I'll be like, no, no, no. But tell me what you want to feel. Like, tell, I, what I need to know is like what, what the result of what the music is doing is on us. And then, so, you know, that's, that's, that's why these, these, things, these, these moments that often seem incredibly tricky to do are actually, I have a very clear map of where I'm supposed to go. So, um, you, know, you know, that's a really good example. And, and it's the same thing applies to the editing too, as far as tell me what you want, tell me what you want to feel, because, you know, it's easy in editing. Sometimes you can think of just, well, you just cut from this to this to that. And then, you know, you go to the wide and you do this. Okay, that's fine. But, but what is it you want to feel right now? What do we want to, you know, and I'm glad Terry was there to kind of get that coal section down the hallway and and then we talked about it, like, here's what's going to, here's what's, here's what's going through his head. Here's where he's at. And so, you know, even the editing gets rhythmic there, you know, with him, he pushes Jennifer, he opens the door, he smells, slams the door. There's a gunshot. There's all, it's all kind of a, a, a rhythm to it that I was playing with to make it to just add to this moment of it. And so it always helped when Terry was, would just say, okay, now this is, or remind you. Hey, this is the first time Cole and Cassie have been together in the entire season three. It's been four episodes. They haven't actually been together. This is the first time. So, you know, Joe even had her walk down the steps to the time machine without breaking her eyes from Cole, which is tricky to do. It took her a few takes to actually get it without falling down the steps. But it's like, it's those <laughs> details that that add to it. And, and being able to talk about it in an emotional you know, an, an emotional and a character level helps, you know, me as an editor, just like with Steven with music, just tell the story with pictures. How, you know, when do we want to hold on somebody? When do we want to be on a reaction shot? Is that telling you more than, you know, a character speaking a line? And so, you know, Terry being able to communicate that way was, was super helpful in trying to, you know, tell this epic story. I've, and I've, I've worked with directors who, I mean, even directors of, of some some note uh, who who sort of don't have that ability. It's like, I mean, there is, there is that thing of like, you can just stitch footage together and, you know, and if you've got half decent performances, you can get, eh, you know, you can get half decent way there. But like that, that, that last 10% uh, and being able to sort of, you know, kind of have the vision to sort of see, see, see what could lie beyond just mere sort of assembly is, is. Is, is really the art of uh, of, of, of directing it's, it's, it's that's it's it's and it's all encompassing because they've got so many there's so many tools you can use like be it from editing visual effects cutting cutting from different takes uh you know a, a myriad number of things that you can do to change how something feels but at the end of the day it's like uh you've got to sort of have a have a, a, a guide as to where where you're headed with it all there. otherwise we're all sort of just sort of throwing throwing darts at the dart um so I did want to turn next to three selections from the season three finale, Witness, um, which at least for us as an audience member, there's a lot of musical moments I've loved in this show, but the mu I felt like I was watching a movie, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, like in the movie theater, that's how the score made it. I mean, maybe to go to Steven's 
point early on um, when we were talking is elevating it so that it doesn't feel like like television on a small screen anymore, but it makes it feel um, just you know, like, like a summer popcorn movie. Um, but the first piece is um, called We Honor Time with Patience. It's one of those, the music, the editing, pieces of a puzzle falling into place. But, you know, it is a little bit hard when you talk about music. I don't know a better way to say it than this piece sounds like if Olivia were music, this is what it would sound like. Um, And I would just love to hear a little bit about sort of what went in behind the scenes to all of this, both the, the images and the music sort of all coming together. I mean, there's, there's the the architecture side of it for me, which is an interesting thing, which is, and I think it's even it even ties into the visuals a little bit of some of what you're seeing, um, and that this is one of those pieces that 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 it, it's very much built as a, a single sort of entity and a standalone entity, and that was sort of very much something that sort of Terry encouraged at the beginning, saying like that this is this is going this is this is going to have to sort of be its own monolith of a you know it's 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 a single thing and a single challenge and uh and it's going to be a tr- tricky one to beat and this is one we definitely went around like quite a few rounds on trying to trying to find the sound on yeah this well it it started with what we talked about is those cuts were you know originally the scene just played like a scene um it was uh the first cut of it was just you know they they go and then olivia sort of betrays them and there's a fight and then she leaves and it didn't it just felt anticlimactic. The The fight was okay. Um, we didn't have a lot of time to shoot it. Uh, I wasn't, I never really thought we got there um, with the footage that we had. Um, we just didn't have enough of it. What we, what we had was good. We could cut, but it would be better if it was artistic. So I said to Chris Gay, who cut that, um, I was like, what if, we were able to cut together, like the feeling I wanted was of a puzzle piece coming together, that her whole life led to this moment. Um, and 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 as you're realizing, oh, Christ, of course, she was duping us and this was bad. So I said to Chris, I was like, what if it's, what if it's this crazy montage that we cut stylistic? We cut back to scenes from season two and her rejecting the witness and all these things, Uh, um, you know, all the little clues that we dropped that she was, uh, Jennifer was like, don't trust her. She wants to be exactly where she wants to be, all that stuff. He's like, okay, I got that. Give me a weekend. Came back and he cut it to this classical piece and it was like pretty great. And then we, 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 uh, we, tested it out, sent it to the network. So everybody was like, this is amazing. We love it. And then it came time to go to Steven. And so, you know, I think I forget what, what, what piece it was, but it was a well-crafted piece and whoever wrote it had 10 times the amount of time Steven. Not only that, to find a sort of Baroque classical version of our themes, no small task. And for it to build and build, so y- y- you know, that piece builds 
crescendos and builds in crescendos about six times, right? So yeah. when you actually watch it. So, and Stephen, God bless him. This is why, like, again, I, I only want to work with Stephen for the rest of my life is he's like, I got it. I know I got this. Just trust me. And, you know, you don't have a lot of time. You don't always treat, you're like, okay, are you sure you got it? Oh, I got it. Don't, don't you worry. This is going to be amazing. And, um, and while that's happening, one of the other uh, sort of uh, infections that happens to a producer or director or people working on it is this thing, this thing called temp love, which means you are so, so programmed. Once you've made a scene work with a piece of temp score and it works really well and you're moved by it, it becomes almost impossible to watch that scene with any other piece of music. And it drives composers crazy it used to drive trevor crazy when i we would do a temp piece i'm like yeah can we go closer to the temp he'd be like oh um but steven would always like as he said earlier it was like he kind of would understand the, what the temp would do or there would be a key or a chord there that hit at just the right moment which is like a, we can use that chord that's not a copyright infringement to use a c chord you know um but this was a really tough one and it just it just kills every time I see it. It's like it's a soundtrack piece. It's phenomenal, and I wish we had a full orchestra playing it. Although I don't know if anyone could play strings that fast. Yeah, that actually sometimes with the, with the sophists we could actually cheat and do things that that the, 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 the real guys are look at and go, oh, uh, that that's quite tricky. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I also remember with this this cue as one being one that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it it's it, it is funny how certain pieces of music where you know where uh, where you the, the 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 perspective that it comes from is is often a, such a critical thing, and so and so when you get a piece of music that that like this where where you you sense that it has its own structure and that it's sort of leading its its own path, you get this you can you can end up with this sort of feeling where. You, that sort of feeling of inevitability and the feeling of the jigsaw puzzle coming together, you can evoke that without just, just by sort of not following, you know, it follows the cut, but it, it's very much sort of following its own path as well. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot of it's in the, in the pacing of it. And, and, uh, and one of the, the great things was because it was cut to the, the, the classic piece originally um, was that naturally was something that had its own structure. So, so that's a really good example of where, where temp actually helped hugely because, because of the way the rhythm and the pacing of the edit uh, was already cut to a, to a pace that was a fairly steady. So it gave, you know, I already knew what I knew. The one thing that when I went to that piece is that I was going to have to be at the same tempo. I knew that because, because the pacing worked so well. Um, and, you know, obviously there's, there's no copyright on a tempo. It's just a 78 BPM or however many BPM it was. And, um, uh, but it, it, it's, it's that kind of thing that sort of where, and then the two meld together in that way. So, that's where that's it's a great example of like there is temp and, and sometimes and temp love is I always find it's it's one of those things where it's there's always something there's a reason why a deeper reason why um, and I remember a movie I worked on years and years ago um, uh, and with an, a certain actor who can remain nameless um, but uh, uh, there was a sequence where they, they they basically they were supposed to give a big heroic speech and uh, well the big heroic speech didn't work um, the big heroic speech was less than big and heroic. Um, and and basically, this was just meant to be the sort of culmination of the movie, and everyone was sort of like, "Well, it's kind of you know." And and they they put in a, a temp piece of uh, like Jerry Goldsmith, uh, and it made it made this it made this performance that was pretty lackluster, 
uh, actually work. It, it sort of gave it, pushed it over the edge and gave it just enough where it sort of was believable. And so, of course, every time, you know, trying, you know, then the benchmark for that piece of music became, is this, is this doing the same thing? And so I was then look for what, what, what is that, that nugget of information? And, and in this particular case, it was, you know, in, in this queue in, in Monkeys, it was, you know, it, does it give you that feeling of grandeur? Does it give you that feeling of this was a, a huge plan that has, has come together and, she, and, and basically, oh, you should have seen this all along. Uh, and there's this sort of arc, I think architecture would be the word I would use. It's like she was she was a master architect of this of this incredible sort of you know calm, and uh, and the, 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 there wants to be a beauty to that in a way. It's sort of like you know what she what she's done is is in a in a awful sense beautiful, um, and so you know I think it's sort of the elegance of the classical music was what really plays to that nicely. It just gives you this feeling that uh, there was there was this sort of huge grand design um and and that's uh and that realization is sort of kicks you and kicks you in the, in the in the stomach as a viewer it just makes you it makes you sort of you know view the whole of what you've seen before in a new way and that's you know i mean that's what we're trying to do the next piece and it's two selections from the return of the witness um the first is the music that accompanies uh jennifer saving ethan and the emotion um, and hopefulness to it, um, right when the audience is like, oh man, we really need a win. Um, and, yeah. and the editing and the music, it's one of those examples on this show of how much story you all told in one minute that even though it's a minute, you feel so much emotion between seeing, uh, you know, Eliza's, grave and jennifer saving cassie and cole's son and the bond they form and all of it is like a minute with barely any dialogue and music thoughts on that one is the, the first part with 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 the, the save the dying man i think there's this there's the, the 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 wonderful moment of release when you realize you know i mean jennifer sort of has her sort of you know the crazy bag lady to the moment with the the, the kids to realizing oh there's the, there's this sort of this this great moment of release um is and i think what's lovely about that is it because it's such the culmination of really uh of, of Ethan and Eliza's story and i think that that's i think that's where the, the emotional core of that comes from and so it's sort of like taking the music from from you know parts parts of 308 i think it is and uh uh, uh and sort of expanding on 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 some of the sort of the 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 the, the thematic material there and saying, well, what if you took that to its absolute sort of climax of like, you know, end of end of the movie, uh, and and sort of you know going for sort of fairly sort of almost like this just this feeling of catharsis and this feeling of uh, you know uh, it's it, that 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 the, the, there there is this hopefulness at the end of uh, of it and uh, 
that I mean, I think that was the, and then and then of, of course then you get into the into the, the super moment when when he when the return of the witness and it's uh, uh, and it's and especially I think that given where this then goes, you know, where 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 you really see, you know, the, obviously that that he, that he isn't and that he wasn't, and it's just that there's uh it, it's it's one of those moments that plays sort of differently even after seeing season four i think it's it's because you, you realize it's just got this moment of, of sort of hope to it so i think i think that that was the sort of the main thing we were after that was just this this feeling of, of really of uplift um and 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 a, and a sense of a, a sense of also even even a grander plan than olivia's i mean it's sort of like uh you know sort of uh, that sort of hope can beat out even even the, the greatest architecture that sort of the, the forces of evil have been able to put together. Sorry to use the word epic, but epic return. Oh, no, epic's um, a good word. Okay. <laughs> we can use it. It's just for the users without any other qualifiers and say, we want this to sound epic. And you're like, uh, what kind of epic? But, uh, but, but as a descriptor, it's totally fine. It's, it's, it's a great word. Okay, good, because it is epic, um, that whole scene. And, you know, the staging and the set design, it's all beautiful. But that moment, at least for me, it's the music that makes you just be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, I will add that I didn't cut this episode. Chris did, uh, and he did a masterful job. I remember he pulled me in to show me, you know, not only the the Olivia uh, sequence, which I was like, this is like a masterwork, uh, but also when Nathan comes back and shoots up tight, and I was like, this is just like, Give me all the popcorn, basically, <laughs> at this moment. Right. So, uh, all, all credit to Chris on this one. He just did a, a phenomenal job with this episode. Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's it all could have not worked, you know. And it's thanks to Stephen and Chris, uh, really, that it did. You know, cutting together and feeling. I mean, you you could easily cry when um, when Jennifer rescues Ethan. And and you, it's the total arc of his character, and then he comes back, you know. And you've also been promising um, the return of the witness since since the beginning. That first episode, three hundred one, would you know part of the religion of the twelve monkeys is one day their savior would return to Titan and lead them. So this could very well be the moment in which that happened, um, and. Um, I remember having a gigantic fight on set that day with the director about that, that concept. I was like, no, he can't just show up and start shooting people down. It wasn't an action movie. You needed to live with the awe of the moment of there he is with all his acolytes and, and, and Olivia believing she like it's stunned that he's alive and what's about to happen. And then, you know, that sort of Matrix-esque moment with the machine guns. But it's all coming off of the feel-good energy of Jennifer saving. So it could all have not worked. And, and you know, Stephen crushed it. I mean, 
it's a, it's it's one of my favorite pieces from the show and it again it's 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 the end of that story the end of they saved their kid this, this, that's the moment you know that they saved his soul and when you look at the arc in totality you know he's not going to he doesn't live too very much longer after that moment so it needed to feel like a satisfying conclusion and yeah Stephen really crushed it and now we're going to turn to season four. And the first track we're going to play is from the episode Ouroboros, and it's entitled The First Splinter. I mean, it, it was, I mean, that, that piece was, was uh, based on Steven's very first sketch of season four um, minus a few elements that we took out for that moment. But um, it, 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 to me, it was, the, it was a love letter to the show, um, that episode, and the piece needed to feel the, the same way. You know, even, even the, that family theme that comes at the end, there, there is, there's a hint of sadness to it. There's a, you know what I mean? It's like, um, and it really resonates and, and, you know, with the imagery of Cole and Jones who are, who are now fully like together. And he's got his hand on her hand versus down below a Cole and Jones who hardly know each other and just starting out the journey. It's like, it's a, it's a real beautiful thing that you, um, that you can only really do in, in a time travel show, specifically kind of this one. And to be able to, let the music, you know, uh, guide you and, and take your hand through that process was 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 quite a was quite a thing, and uh, it's it's I, one of my favorites. Why it starts the soundtrack um, for that, season four? That, I love uh, that. Yeah, that moment then also connects to for me. I mean, I think there's there's a few other moments in season four that that really connects to sort of emotionally, and I think one of the the interesting ones for me is that it then thematically connects to the the no man is an island moment at the end of um, four eight, isn't it? Or four off the top of my head, I'm like just the number um, uh, where they're all sitting sitting uh, around off, and it's that that's there's the, you know just before Jones uh, hands us, you know they deacon they go to the the, the, the yeah, it's right the Nazi episode. Yes, for us, where she's reading, she's right. reading. Um, uh, um, from John Don, yeah, from the Bell, yeah, from yeah, yeah, and it's it's. I mean, it's it's that sort of. I think that that for me is like that's the, it's the it gets to the very core of what season four is about, the which is you know that I mean that's definitely if if you were sort of seeing it as as a group of, of four episodes, four seasons, it's like fourth the fourth seasons for me is definitely about family, and that's that's you know the the core 
the core at the heart of it and so it, you know that's very it's it so connects across to those moments I mean and even in the way you know that there's a way that those se- sequences look and particularly you know there's uh uh and the, the 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 lighting of those two scenes and the the there's, there's this sort of very intimate very personal kind of thing about sort of there's this both this huge story going on uh this huge you know, sort of saving saving the universe kind of, uh, there's a massive, massive story. But at the end of the, the heart of the season is really about the smallest possible story. It's about, there's about, you know, between between families. So, um, you know, I think that, that sequence is, is really getting to the, getting to that, I think. Yeah. And, and, you know, after, especially after seeing, I didn't cut that, you know, that was Chris's episode, but after seeing it and hearing Steven score with it, which again, I was familiar with because it was part of his demo, but it was completely different. And with picture, it took on a kind of a whole new life that, yeah, it became a pin for Chris and I throughout all of season four as well of, Hey, when do we want to go back to this theme? When, you know, when is it foreshadowing for something? Do we want to, you know, bring it in here to, you know, tie something together. So it was like, it became a really useful tool for us, you know, as we were, putting these episodes together to, to help us tie things together. Sometimes it's just a really kind of beautiful piece of music. Yeah, it definitely gives, I mean, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of motion, but there's also, uh, there's something about the music and the way that you all staged it, that you, as the audience member, feel the awe that Jones and Cole have in that moment. If that makes sense, it, it's emotional, but it's also, there's something about it that you're just, you just get goosebumps because um, it's the beginning of the journey and and you are in the character shoes watching that, but you also experience that as an audience member the first time as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the next um, two pieces are from Demons. The first piece I wanted to focus on was, is entitled The Year 1491. I, I know it fairly well. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a pretty unique one. It's a pretty unique piece. things that we've heard that actors when they've come on the podcast talk a lot about how much fun it was to play uh, characters in different eras. But Stephen, I I was thinking about in terms of of writing music for this show, you're writing for for the years like 1490, 
one through 2143, right? So like you've got medieval, you've got old West, you've got what would a futuristic time traveling city sound like, right? Um, And this this piece sounds like 12 Monkeys, the 12 Monkeys theme song, like as played by a bard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, yeah. I, yeah it, it's it's an interesting question because it's one of those things where there's a very fine line uh, when you do things that are that that sort of use I, things like this, where it, it's it, there's a very fine line between something sort of sounding like parody uh, or, and then sounding uh, like something more than parody. Um, I can't think of a good word for it. There should be a good word for it, but anyway, uh, which is, and, and I think one of the things that we were trying to do with this and with the Western episode was, you know, I was trying to actually, you know, so with the Western episode would be a really good example. I was, uh, you know, with those those sweeping sort of, you know, shots and we were kind of going down that sort of Andy Morricone, big sweeping vibe kind of thing. I, you know, I, what I was very eager to do with it was uh, like sort of not sort of sound like it was... Uh, you know, kind of uh, like a parody of that, but to actually sound like it was that um, in the sense of like it was plausible that if 12 Monkeys had only ever been set in the Wild West and it was a Wild West story for some reason and it was made by Giuseppe Tornatore and shot like 25 years ago, that it would be plausible to be the music for it where where we weren't sort of sort of... And it's almost like one of these, 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 these things where, you know, it's... And I, this is the wrong phrase for it, but it's almost like one doesn't want to feel like one's sort of almost like taking the piss out of medieval music or, or sort of uh, or sort of going down a path where we're sort of, you know, kind of almost not being so jokey with it, where it's actually where we're being... Where we're sort of being almost reverential of it and and letting the fact that it, it, the fun of it is, is sort of, you know, often comes from the performances and often comes from from the, the setup of it and, you know, kind of, uh, that, so that, that, I think that was at the core of this It's sort of, so, so it's sort of, you know, uh, uh, was using, you know, I had a friend, friend of mine who plays, plays Oud very well. And some of the, uh, the, you know, kind of all of, all I think of that, that, that track has a, has a ton of live instruments on it. Cause we were like, we just, we wanted to feel like the theme and sort of, but sort of still have a certain subtlety to it and not be, you know, sort of too, it's almost, we, we want to go there, but go there in a very reverential way. I mean, I think we'll probably be the best way of putting it. Um, it's like, it's a really tricky thread to weave because you have Jennifer <coughs> doing her Jennifer thing, you know, fish out of water, Jennifer with the one-liners to the, you know, the villagers, et cetera. And like Steven said, you don't want it to feel too over the top or, or, or parody. So you, you have to, I don't know, you have to weave it just, just right. And I think he did, it gives you a flavor of the time. It, 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 it it supports the comedy from Jennifer and it just gives you that moment of kind of fish out of water. And then, and then we're back, you know, then the other guys show up to confront Jennifer and it's like, okay, now we're, now we're back to the show. It's just a nice little, you know, kind of taste of the time. And, uh, you know, I think it, it supports that Jennifer scene really nicely. I think there's, there's something also in the the comedy of with, with uh, aspects of 12 Monkeys where there's, there's moments that are funny, but like the best way I've always found to play comedy from a musical perspective is, is to take it seriously funny enough is to not, you know, is, is something's funny by virtue of what you sort of offset it with. And so often when one has sort of sort of music that, that's overly comedic over over comedic moments, you, you can end up sort of killing them in a way. <laughs> 
And one of the things that's great, you know, with with Jennifer is that she's she's yeah. I mean, is Emily's performances? Is 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 it's all there. It's like I don't need to make it funny. It's already funny. Uh, so. So one of the things that I can then do is I can actually play with sort of almost, I mean, if you like play that music out of context, it's sort of, it's not necessarily sort of comedic per se. It's, it's much more sort of like taking, it's, it's just a, a medieval take on our tunes. Um, but, uh, you know, by virtue of the fact that, that, that what's going on is so, is, 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 is funny in itself. It's like, that's, I mean, and that's where it comes into, you know, when you get great performances to work with, it's like our, our jobs are you know, hugely easier. Um, yeah. Massively easier. Yeah. I mean, Drew, Drew and Drew can speak to, you know, we, we all, we, the three of us share the same taste with, with comedy music, that sort of plucky, funny music that happens. So Drew and I, um, we just did a season of MacGyver, together um and unfortunately they wouldn't let me uh hire steven because they already had a process in place in the last three years um and so um so when i went in there uh, the the previous three years had a lot of plucky comedy music when people were doing funny stuff that drives me insane i hate it more <laughs> than anything when it's like bim, 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 bim. And just like I want to die. Like there's nothing worse. And by the way, there's there are some really um, like high streaming shows that 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 do it. I'm like I get it. It's funny. Um, so uh, yeah, like Stephen will Stephen will tell you. Like I sat down with all the editors. I'm like I know you guys have been doing it because there were Steve uh, Drew and I were the new. I'm sorry, Drew and I were the new edit new people on MacGyver. And we, unfortunately, we couldn't ask Stephen. But the first thing I sat down with the old editor says, "I don't want to hear that shit anymore." Like, and I said it as angry as I'm saying it to you now. <laughs> and they didn't always listen, as Drew will tell you. And I was like, "Get it out of there!" <laughs> and then finally, I, I, I sat with the composer, who was just like so relieved to hear me say that. Was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> He's like, I can't do it anymore. And so, yeah. There's, there's literally, there's no worse words to hear out of something where going, like if you're sitting at a meeting and they say, this scene isn't funny, you need to make it funnier. And I'm like, well, reshoot it then. Because it's like, yeah. there's nothing that I, I can't make musically make unfunny material funny. There's just, there is, there isn't that, that, and, and the only thing that people think of, and I think they think of it as being something that makes things funnier by virtue of the fact that it's been used as a sort of cliche. And they're just like, just hit that button. Uh, and it, and it's, it's the plucky strings, you know, kind of, you know, kind of something. And it, 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 on a very shallow level, can sometimes make something that's sort of execrable, like possible. Um, but it 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 doesn't like. And you know, the best I did the best example I ever have it. Like, was a movie where I when I was assisting Harry Gregson Williams, uh, we we worked on a film uh, which actually perfectly showed this, which was Team America. Um, and that movie, they had originally had a different composer on it, and he'd written a score that was very much playing the comedy. Uh, and and it completely killed the entire movie. And they literally, within about three weeks, four weeks before they finished the film, threw the whole score out and and hired uh, Harry and you know and a couple of others, you know, get, sort of pitched in to help him to to redo this to redo the score. And the point was, it was like the that movie is only funny because the music takes it totally seriously. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever watched anything where. A, you, a score completely killed a film because it just took it just made everything unfunny 
by trying to be funny. But like when 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 you have all these puppets, you know, with with sort of serious Jerry Bruckheimer style music behind them, that's what's funny about that. And so, uh, you know, generally speaking, with any of any any comedy, you know, and especially sort of stuff in Within Twelve Monkeys, where you know, it, when especially when the comedy's good and it's earned and it and something, it's like you don't have to do anything to to help it, and you can actually you can amplify it by often playing against it. Um, and that's you know the, the, some of the stuff that's that, that's funniest in, in 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 film and TV. Or often often if you think of you know like I mean like if you look at movies like I mean like Groundhog Day is a really good example. It's amazing how little music there is. I mean when there is music, a lot of the time it's sort of you know not necessarily playing heavy heavily comedic. Um, and 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 because it because what you've got in front of you is already funny. You know you're not trying to 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 make any apologies for it musically. So um, you know, those the, there's a ton of a ton of I think great comedy. Great comedy rarely needs uh, you know sort of musical help um, or a huge amount of it. Um, but anyway, it's almost like that plucky thing that they do in dramas. It's almost like drama's version of a laugh track. And as an audience member, yeah. you're like, yeah, oh, I, I, yes, I, totally. You know, it's like, like a, Greek I, cor- a Greek chorus whittering on in the background. It's like you just want to shut up after a while. It's like, and it does, and it's, and it's, but it's, it's incredibly easy to cut. And there's music libraries with hours of it where they just go, boop, 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 you know, slap it in and job done. Um, and you know, it's this thing of, you know, and it's, and and it's, and it's amazing also when people do do write comedy that often often they can be remarkably sort of uh, unaware of how funny what they've written is and put it in because they think what they've done isn't funny. So you also have to have a director and a writer who are, you know, confident that they've done what they meant to do and don't sort of go. And, and it's, it's very difficult with any film or television or anything where you're watching this. We, you, you, you as an audience member or you as a, a, one as a filmmaker can you only get to watch it the first time once. And by the time you're watching it the second time, you already know what's happening. And by the time you're watching it the 25th time, you know, you know it's ingrained in your bloodstream. And you, you, but you never get to have that experience of watching it the first time again. And so, uh, you know, it's like, it's, it's often, you know, as a composer, you often have to sort of be a slight, not, not like an agony aunt, but you have to sort of just go back in and, because we're coming in fairly late in the process and go, hey, you know, what you actually made is really good. You, you don't need to, you, I don't need to help you there. You're fine. It's funny. Or you're fine. It's emotional. Or you're fine. It, 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 it's got the weight that it needs to have. And, uh, and so sometimes, you know, you, you find yourself sort of actively fighting to have people turn the music down or, or off. Um, because because sometimes silence is one of the best tools we actually have. I mean, sometimes you know where and where you and a, a good editor will always you know be able to sort of find those moments where it can breathe. Because if you have wall to wall music, it just you know it might as well not be there. Um, the second to last piece, and, and you all mentioned it before, is the closing montage at the end of Demons um, with the arrangement of "Don't You Forget About Me," but also just the way the music and the editing. It, it it gives us room to really feel that loss of Deacon, but as as it builds, you also kind of feel like the walls closing in on our protagonists. Like as Olivia is stepping out on that balcony, you feel the weight of the challenge. Like how are they gonna how are they gonna get out of this?
so as scripted, it was, you know, it was these various scenes with our characters and, and everyone was sad, you know, Deacon's dead, Olivia won. And then, you know, and then, yeah, then you see Olivia go on the balcony and then she kind of, you know, we initiate the process. So it was fine. It just, it, it, it just felt kind of flat after, especially after that previous act where all the stuff goes down in the medieval church and Deacon's dead. I mean, really dead. And, and so it was kind of like, well, how can we, how can we, how can we lean into that? How can we make our characters pretend, you know, make them feel this loss from Deacon? So we, so we first started just intercutting the scenes a little bit like, Oh, we'll start with Jennifer with the knife and then, you know, and then we'll come out of that scene. We'll go to to Cole. Um, And we're like, okay, this is interesting. But it was like, we need a piece. We like this. We need a piece to take us from the beginning of this because it starts with this loss. And by the end it's, Oh man, Olivia's got her like master machine ready now. So it it kind of travels through, you know, a range of emotions. So it's like, how can we connect all of this? And I don't remember who thought of the the "Don't You Forget About Me" cover. I don't know if it was if it was you, Terry, who who had kind of pitched it. Um, it was one of you. It was one of you two because you came to me with it. Yeah, we, we had. Yeah, we had like Kelsey's lyrics or something. Like I don't know if she had done a version. Yeah, like she, she did a vocals, vocals, but it was a, it was much closer to uh, it was like you know much closer to the to the song um, where we wanted like the sad fuck right. version. But we were able to just so strip out her vocals, out. right? Like she gave us just her vocal tracks, so we we were able to kind of place it in spots. You know, okay, we're gonna do a bit of a scene here, and then oh, this piece of lyric is actually really cool. It actually talks about what's happening, or it's setting the stage for what's going on. So we kind of, you know, slowly kind of frameworked the whole thing out. And I had tempted with just some, you know, random trailer music that just that was building basically throughout just to give you the overall sense of, okay, here's what's going to happen. So we felt like it was working really well, but then it really fell onto Steven's plate of like, well, can you do like, can you do this? Because there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot going on. It, you know, can you make this thing happen? And he absolutely crushed it and, you know, hit it, hit the ball into the parking lot, basically. I, I think that one was, there. it was, I, if I remember right, uh, I think you'd cut the, the vocal sort of, I, I think the structure that I had and the, the reason why, that the, and it sort of actually became something that was sort of serendipitous and was slightly unintentional when you listen to it just as, a, as an album cut. Obviously, it's like, it's an arrangement of the song, but like not all the lyric is actually there and it drops out. And obviously there's points where we only, we only use parts of the vocal. And I think that's almost in a strange sort of way, part of its charm is that it sort of doesn't actually, you don't have to hear the, the whole song and then gradually you just hear snippets of it. And it's sort of like, it's almost like you fill in the blanks as, as the listener a little bit. Um, but, uh, but I think if I remember right, you'd cut the, 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 where the vocal phrases need to land. So it was another one of like where, because you've got a, such a great sense of rhythm that it, I think I was able to say, okay, well, I know my tempo and I know where I need to be that phrase needs to land there and was able to sort of, you know, kind of figure out the, the structure of it. And then once I had that structure where the, 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 the big drums kick in was like, knew that with that, that needed to then build, build to a, to the end. And, you know, so I, I think, I think it was like, 
the it was actually the architecture of it was fairly clear if i remember so it actually was one of those ones where i was able to be like yeah i know exactly what to do with this and you, you were both like oh do and i'm like okay uh but because 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 i had the architecture there to build on so it was like you know it's like washing line i'm just hanging things off it to try and see what works but uh yeah the basic basic structures there and i think this was also a time where we're being together in close proximity as far as you know my editing room was 20 feet away from your from your uh composing room was that yeah we could give you the framework. Like, here's where we want the vocals to come in and then you could kind of do the song and be like okay well in the structure of the song here's this. And then we could just go right back to the edit and say, okay, well, let's actually move this bit here or shorten this bit so we can make the song. So you, you know what I mean? It can feel more like a song and less of like a, like a cue, like a scored cue. It could feel like here's this, you know, down tempo song that we just dropped in and it works perfectly. But it was because we were able to pass some of these early pieces back and forth that we could both kind of build build the thing separately. And then by the end, when, you know, it was time to actually put it together, we had both been talking and passing pieces back and forth that it would ju- that it just kind of fit right in. And it was like, this is working perfectly. Before we wrap up, the last p- thing that we wanted to talk about was the end of One Minute More and the track Proudest to Be Your Mother. Yep. And yeah, so if you guys, it's it's uh, it's all the editing, it's all the music. And again, you guys tell so much story and make us feel so much in such a short amount of time. It's really incredible. This one was a fun one because it was so outside of of kind of what we do on this show, um, where it's this it's this full act basically you know a love story uh, between Hannah and Cole's dad, and then and all, and it's also a love letter from a mom to her son. And so I I mean I remember I had tempted I, I kind of had leaned when I first started cutting this I kind of leaned into that this is a love story like, you know, um, a romantic love story and there's some whimsy to it. And, and so I was super nervous to press play for this one on Terry with Terry, because it was so different. I mean, it was, I, I remember you like, like actually sort of being like, you know, Kara be like, can I hear it? And you were like, no, you're like, they'd like, they'd be like, can I hear it? And you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I didn't want him to hear it until it was done. You know, because yeah, sometimes Terry would pop in and just like, hey, what are you working on? Like, you know, let me, let me check it out. And usually it's like, yeah, sure. That's what I'm thinking. But this one was so different that I didn't want him to bump on something in the middle. Like, wait, what's going on here? Like, well, what are you thinking? Like, what? So I was like, let me just do the whole thing. And so uh, I was super nervous with it. And I think at first, I, if, you know, I think, I think you were a little bit hesitant with the Terry, like, like, are, are we, like, are we really going to go, you know, go there with this? And I, you know, Was I, I? The more we, I, I, I always I mean, remember it working pretty well. Okay. I can't remember. Cause I just remember I was just so nervous to press play. Cause it was way different. So different from anything else we've done on the show. And especially coming from the previous act, it was like, what a gear shift. I mean, this was like a total gear change. So, um, but yeah, the more we were working on it, the more we kind of you know refined it and got into it. And and honestly, this is probably one of my favorite acts in the whole series because it because it it does the thing, and it's kind of like what Stephen was talking about with the the fourteen ninety one cue is you know we're not we're not trying to you know we're trying to take this very seriously, and and we're going to let the images you know tell tell what they do because I think Brooke was fantastic in it. Um, performances spoke a lot. So it was like, how can we just support this and make you feel this, you know, this compressed story, these two people in one act. Um, and, you know, I think Steven did just a wonderful job of, of just underscoring and supporting all of the stuff without it being so overtly about music. It, you know, it just it kind of meshed so well in such a different way that I thought it, it turned out really cool. It still gives me goosebumps to this day as I watch through it. The build at the end, you know, with the note with the Ouroboros and Hannah putting the pen down. It's like it's like wow. I mean, you know, you just you need a break Perfect. basically. Yeah. There's there's little moments in it. I mean I think the trickiest part of this was that you know there's there's two there's two there's two dangers with anything quite like this in the sequence uh, and this, these kinds of moments where it's very easy for something like this i mean it, it's a very fine line between emotional and potentially getting into sort of mawkish and getting into something that that that, that goes too far and I, and it, and again it's uh you know a lot of this comes down to the fact that the performances were so good and also the, the fact that the performances were so there's actually quite a lot that's quite understated in the performance um especially with Brooke and there's there's things that are done with 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 just small looks between them and it isn't sort of you know I mean it, it's not something that that it is is sort of very overt it's actually it's actually a very very subtle sequence and uh, and I, th I think that's one of the things that I love about the show generally is that that, that, that there's a lot of the times that it, it treats its its, its, its audience as, as very smart. Um, we we think they are, but um, but you know, I mean, it basically says, like, okay, uh, we're not going to, we don't need to show you everything explicitly within within the next three minutes. Uh, we can, you could, and your brain just fills in the gaps of of their relationship where you've actually seen very very little of their life together, but then you you build this picture of what it was like, and this sort of it's almost like you 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 would sort of remember things that you didn't even see in in it, and so. Um, you know, we're trying to build this feeling of, 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 of you know, and trying to support that musically and trying to sort of allow, allow that to, 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 to sort of be, be very natural. And, and so um, a lot of it's in the pacing of it. And I know, I know that's something we went back and forth on a fair bit of just sort of, you know, exactly where things should land, where turns and where sh gentle shifts 
um, what what we were following. And, and it's, you know, there's a lot of moments in there as well. And so one of the things is there's times where you have to, to sort of let a moment just stand on its own. And there's times you want to support it. And so, you know, the moment, the realization where, you know where she's where she realizes that um, that that it that it's her. I mean that she realizes that you know that that it you know it wasn't what we've been thinking for so long, and uh, and it's and it and that she is James's mother, uh, and and the sort of and there's there's several moments of realization along the way there. So I think we we were just sort of working on how we paced it and how we how we structured that. And so, and, and a lot of it's just sort of, you know, trying things out and playing it and then sort of thoroughly like, Oh, well, what happens, you know, something, what, something we do a lot is we shift things around. So we'll like push something just a few seconds, uh, you know, Terry will say, I'll oh, push it a few seconds to breakfast or push it a few seconds to dinner, you know, forward or backwards, depending on, you know, and, uh, and, and just see it hitting play and just sitting there reacting to it and saying, does that, does that give it something else? Um, you know, what, 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 what heightens the emotion? What, what, uh, what where do we where, where do we want to feel the structure going and then so it's it's a sort of just a process like that where we build it up and, and 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 sort of figure out how to support this this sequence but so much of that scene is 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 all there um you know i'm not i'm not having to sort of sell you on their relationship it's 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 all there in the performances so it's really about sort of just underscoring on uh, um, um, that emotion this has been just an absolute pleasure today um I, just as fans you rarely get to hear uh, sort of the craft goes into things that, you know, we love as much as we do. So uh, thank you so much. You guys were so generous with your time um, with us thank this you. morning. I, yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. So we, awesome, you know, guys. these, these two gentlemen are such a vital part of my creative process. I, they're, and they're good friends on top of that. So uh, that's a, that's always a nice uh, bonus uh, when when you all really get along, so uh, uh, I'm thrilled to sort of complete this Twelve Monkeys rewatch uh, podcast uh, journey by bringing these guys in because they're s- such an important part of the whole thing. I hope it's sort of something that where yeah, I mean, you know, when we when you're making a show, that, I mean, I've worked on I've worked on things where you know where I I enjoyed the show, um, but I you know what there's I think there's times where you, you you're just a few times and I hope I hope to have more of them in in, in, in my career but um where you, you you're working on something and we just you know suddenly by the by the the last episode is like we were, I mean we just didn't really want this the, the post-production of this this one to end I mean it was just and it was you know pretty <laughs> emotional when we when 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 we when we did have to sort of like ship off the last episode and finish the last mix it was sort of you know kind of it's kind of quite a moment, but uh, you know, you suddenly realize actually, sort of the investment, emotional investment into the show, and you know, we at, at its core, whilst making it, we were all fans of it. So, um, you know, it's 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 great for us. I mean, we're we're absolutely in the same same sort of same same kind of mindset where we 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 just love it. So, um, it's just a you know, it was just was just a, such a pleasure to make the show. Um, and that's definitely that's not true of all shows. I mean, that's, there's a lot of stuff out there which is you know people do. But this 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 had a lot more than that, so it's great. Yeah, I, th- I think we all really loved and believed the show. Um, you know, from from when from when I started uh, in season two, um, the more that you got into it, the more I was like, this is a, such a cool epic epic tale that we're able to tell, and the time travel just made it was kind of the cherry on the top. You, you get to do oh, you get to do a western, you get to do you know the Nazi romp, you get to do. The time travel one where, you know, everyone's got duplicates of each other and they're trying to avoid each other. So, you know what I mean? So you get to play in all these different sandboxes 
which made it, I mean, every time a script came out, I couldn't wait to read it because it was like, what, what cool adventure are we going on this time? Uh, and by the end, like Stephen was saying, it was really hard to say goodbye because we had poured so much of ourselves into, you know, into making the show and so much time together in doing it. And it was, I mean, it was really one of the great experiences of my career. And, and I hope I get to do more of it, especially with these two, with Terry and Steven, because I mean, we have this, this shorthand, we've developed this shorthand now with things where we, we can even just look at each other and like, okay, I know what you, I know what you want. I know what you need. And, you know, and kind of do things. And, and that's, it's pretty cool. It's a cool feeling. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that that happens very often. So I've been very, very lucky to uh, have uh, been involved with the show and, and, and really uh, I enjoy every moment of it and I hope more people get to watch it, you know, now that it's all out and get to experience it because I think it's a really awesome epic tale, but also a per a personal and a human tale that is, you know, that that's got a, like a really important message in the end. So, uh, well, well done Terry for crafting. Oh, this. you guys. Oh, okay. oh, <laughs> stop, stop, stop. <laughs> well, you all did create something really, really special. So I, I'm, we're just so appreciative. We got to hear from some of the folks behind the scenes that were so important to putting that all together. Thank you so much. Now, you all are going to come back to break down the finale. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. And again, thank you for in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> taking two hours out of your weekend. <laughs> we're, we're <laughs> Uh, you know, that has not been lost on us. And the number of people who have like said, "Didn't you work on a show about this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we're we're going to take a break from the real pandemic to talk about the fictional pandemic. I, I don't know. Great. This mine mine doesn't have as as great a soundtrack. I got to be honest. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you again so much to Terry Metalis, Stephen Barton, and Drew Nichols for sharing their time with us to discuss the incredible music of this series. We actually will be having the three of them back for part one of our series finale podcast. Very excited. Looking forward to that. We're nearing the end or the beginning or both, you guys. It's very exciting, and we can't wait to take you there with these awesome guys. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.